everything is a matter of time, effort, and energy. You can choose how much time, effort, and energy you want to put into certain things, but you only have so much time, you only have so much effort and so much energy to put into them. You can't pick and choose where it goes and you can be an expert and as good as you want to be at whatever you want to be. But again, pick and focus. For me, I would say patience, calm down, patience. You can't do all this, can't will it to be all in one day. You've got to see it through. And that's not a persistence thing. It's a time aspect. You've got to have the patience to to go through the process and you can't make it all happen immediately. Because if you don't, if you don't bring that, you get really frustrated really quickly. Hello, everyone. Just kidding. This is Chris Powers. And I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business, investing, and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into The Fort. I'm excited to have uh, the co-founders of Tenant Base with me today, Mike Zay and Bennett Washabah. They uh, came in today. We've been chatting the last couple hours about the future of real estate, um, a lot of things happening within the tenant space, and excited to kind of riff off of that and um, talk about what y'all are building and kind of where we see the world going. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Would you just give a quick story on um, who y'all are and how Tenant Base kind of came to be? Yeah. So I uh, actually, following my graduation from college, moved to Chicago where I got a job working as a tenant rep broker. Was there for about four years. That was where Mike, uh, the day I started, he was actually being promoted to run our sales team, which was exciting. Uh, <laughs> we became good friends, though. And over those four years, you know, effectively, saw a lot of opportunity within the traditional tenant rep model to create truly a a modern experience for the modern consumer, increase efficiencies, but also increase and in, in create a technology experience coupled with great local service that, uh, you know, really revolutionized how tenant rep brokerage is done and the service delivery experience exists for consumers and really be and build a uh, a global tenant focused brand. Yeah, I mean, just a, this is Mike speaking to fall on Bennett there, you know, we had the chance to work together in Chicago, see how the traditional industry worked, uh, had the luxury of working for some phenomenal brokers and uh, partners through the years. And then we're able to collaborate on starting something that targeted an underserved niche of the the industry, which is small to mid-sized businesses trying to find and lease commercial space. So what, what was like the moment that y'all decided, all right, we see this opportunity the real estate market was heating up. I'm sure your tenant rep business was doing well and you clearly probably left something that was on the up and up to get this started. When was the moment of, we got to do this? Um, so for me, and I'll, I'll let Mike answer this, it was mid mid 2013. We had been talking, so Mike had actually moved. Uh, I worked with him for about two years. He had just moved, was in in Dallas. He'd worked you know, with Cassidy Turley, but then it just moved to Nashville. Uh, and we started talking about what if we just started to increase efficiencies and automate all of these archaic processes that we're doing so that we can just do more deals. And I'll kind of let Mike, you know, he he had a uh, he had the idea. He said tenant base is this is this uh, 
you know, it's a great name. And, and, you know, we, we started talking about it and then I swear it was probably what a month that, you know, no sleep. It was, the excitement was absolutely nuclear. Uh, those first, you know, few months of talking, I mean, my wife, even now she's an absolute saint for even, you know, going through that whole stage, but it was working, you know, day and night and building we couldn't get enough of it at that point. And it was, you know, and I say this, honestly, it was too big of an opportunity. I saw it to even, I I knew that I'd regret the living hell out of it if we didn't do it. So. No, absolutely. I mean, we had the traditional experience. I was working here in Dallas and got obsessed with commercial estate tech. Uh, It was around the time VTS had just come out, view the space uh, and the square foot. Uh, which is now up in New York, and they just raised their Series B. So it's exciting. Both those companies have flourished. I mean, they're doing phenomenal stuff, and we really admire them. And uh, I just left a really good team here, drove to Nashville, and started trying to put this together. And luckily, Ben and I reconnected because he was in the in the middle of a heater on the uh, traditional tenant rep front, closing a lot of big deals and doing things uh, pretty big time in Chicago, Detroit. So it was it was interesting though because and i think this probably will be a question we we ended up in those early days we realized we needed a technical co-founder as well we my uncle actually is one of you know was our first first investor um and he's built a software company and ended up you know exiting and he it was right around the same time when we were starting tenant base and he said you need an unbelievable technical co-founder who can who can do this with you yep and so around that time i called my one of my great friends, Josh Gardner, who's my next door neighbor growing up because he was best friends with Andy Kish, who is now our CTO. But at the time I thought he was working for Google. Yeah. Um, and so Andy, it just so happened that he had, was actually with Josh. When I called Josh, he proceeded to just grill the, you know, the crap out of me on what's your business idea? What's the plan? We ended up flying out that next day to, to get Andy to work on this. And it really became real when Andy said, I'm in, I want to build the initial software. I want to work with you guys. And, you know, he came, came to us, obviously a very experienced engineer, but also gave us that credibility in those, in in those phases. Um, you know, and from there it was, uh, I got married in, in the fall of 2013 in the middle of all of this, moved back to Ann Arbor. Andy did the exact same thing during the day. I would cold call for Mike Zay's dad actually to try to fund the business in the early days. And at night we would go into Andy's house and just hammer out kind of the initial tenant based software. So those early days were fun. It's good. How different is building software than building a traditional business? So for people that are coming into the business that haven't been in a software building environment, like what did you learn early on that kind of was like, this is totally different than anything I've ever done? I would say the biggest thing with the development of software and the building of a business, like for me, especially I'm very hands-on. Yeah. I like to run very quickly. I have an idea. I want to put it into action. Yep. On the software side, there's not the ability to do that, especially when you're non-technical. Yep. You can't just say, I want to create this, and then it's live to the world the next day. You have to put a plan in place. You might need to go get the resources, establish the team, understand that uh, there's different challenges with different pieces of software and different code bases and things like that, where even as a non-technical person, you kind of shake your head. So yep. for me, it was the ability or continues to be a challenge of learning that there's a process, there's a culture that has to be created around experimentation, measuring results, seeing what you learned, and then then implementing different solutions there. So the the process of building software is I have learned more (laughs) with our engineering team and I'm probably, you know, 
many times when I come flying in with a crazy idea, they're probably like, not again, man. Yep. It's, <laughs> you know, I, I continue to the level of logic and the level of, you know, intelligence of, of these folks. I, I, I enjoy learning from all of them because I swear every single day I'm learning something new on this on, on you know, the product side, on the engineering side. And yep. it's, it's, it's well said by Mike, it's the difference between immediate gratification and truly building that culture of, right. of process and, you know, in building the, the incremental building blocks that all come together and actually build what your product is. So do you all test the products before they're shipped or do you have beta users or how are your products shipped before the masses start seeing them? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, we have a, you know, obviously a pretty extensive internal process of we're going through developing something and then we're going to have a deployment. So it's already had the code review, all the other engineers have seen it. Uh, and then we're typically doing feature flags oftentimes where internally we're seeing a change or what have you. But for the most part, right now, we're where we are in the in the process. When we put something live, management's seen it. Maybe we're releasing it to a portion of our tenants or our users on the site. And then we're measuring how it impacts the the day-to-day, the usage of, of our platform. That's awesome. To dive into the business itself. So you guys saw the problem in tenant rep. Um I've talked about this on other episodes. We just talked about it for two hours. Commercial real estate is archaic when it comes to uh, implementation of technology. What were some of the main kind of core issues you were looking to solve right out of the gate? Um, I think early on, we, I don't know if this makes sense, but we tried to solve too much. Yep. Uh, initially, you know, we've, our first software to this day that we really rolled out in Nashville, it was incredible. You know, it's in theory, it was perfect. It was a fully automated system. You know, we were going to try to give the tenant absolute full empowerment, you know, and that's always been our goal is truly empower tenants. The industry has never done that. And as we just talked about for two hours, you know, we believe that that being that go-to destination for businesses to find and lease their space is ultimately gives us all of these avenues to truly revolutionize the industry for the other counter, you know, the other parts of the industry, the other stakeholders as well. That's, you know, really a net benefit for everyone. But early on, we wanted to solve everything for the tenant. We wanted to fully, fully empower them. And what we realized very quickly was tenants, one, they want that local service. They really want that. There's nothing that can substitute that local service when they're it's the, one of the largest, you know, line items for them is, is their their rent, right. especially when they're signing a three-year deal. When we built that first software, we had folks going with other local brokers and Mike and I realized that we need to increase the empowerment through technology, but we have to provide this great local service as well through our own brokers. And Mike and I were actually the, the brokers. brokers. For, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that's that nailed it. I mean, it's it's creating one of our big things in our culture is win with service. Yep. And we're trying to do that by creating a better experience that's technology driven, technology empowered. But at the end of the day, it creates a service quality and consistency for a group of people that didn't have access to it. And yep. that's just how the industry was set up. And, you know, there's a great opportunity to continue to improve that. You said a couple of things. Um, you said one on just the building of the business, you started trying to solve too much. Um, I think that is such a common thread in a lot of early stages. Like the world is our oyster. We can do it all. Was there like a moment when it was like, let's just solve a few things, not everything, or that's just kind of the natural evolution. You're seeing what's working, what's not and and sticking with what's working. I still, to this day, probably try to I get excited and I want to solve a ton of different things. It's my and biggest weakness. Yeah, it's me um, as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's, but it's also what keeps me going. Yeah. It's where all the excitement comes from. I, I think that we, 
really, you know, focusing on service delivery, what improved service delivery and focusing on the consumer when we when we really realized that one, our, our vision hasn't really changed. We're very lucky for it hasn't changed yeah. from the start. But it also, I would say when we first really had that consumer focus and then we realized that that local service was a massive aspect of it, that was, it was a big turning point for the business. I would say starting to see that take place. But even today, I think that, you know, I get extremely pumped about things and then I want to do, you know, 50 different other things that are extensions, but it's, you know, it's very important to have your core business. That's, that's yeah. uh, humming. I, w- I wouldn't say it was a point in time, but I think working with people that balance you out is very important. And yeah. I think we're very fortunate that Bennett and I share a lot of the same characteristics, but we also are very different. And that's, that's been helpful for us as we've grown as well as Andy, our third partner and, and some of our senior team leaders. Uh, it's just building the team yep. to kind of balance that out and get focused. So it's like to the man with the hammer, every nail looks like an opportunity. <laughs> oh, I, and I, you know, again, like we were talking about, it's it Mike couldn't be more spot on, very, you know, process oriented, unbelievable manager sticking to exactly what, you know, we're doing, improving every little aspect of it. And you have the excitement of, of many different things. It's nice to have people balance each other out. So from when you started, like if I'm a tenant right now going into the market, and and I'm one of your target customers, um, target tenants. Like, what are some of the things that if I chose not to go with y'all, I would experience that I wouldn't experience with y'all? I think the first thing is you're going to find a disparity of information. You're going to have access to what are probably more best described as listing platforms if you're starting online, which would be a premise here, right. uh, and you're finding search results and building information, it's going to be piecemealed. It's probably going to be more marketing driven owners or leasing agents trying to get exposure for a specific asset or a specific space. And what you're going to end up doing is having to kind of keep track of that on your own. Yeah. And even if you're using a broker, it's it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you're going to have to organize information from 10 different sources, or you're looking on LoopNet, your broker's looking on CoStar and sending you reports, things like that. Uh, so our goal, and we may or may not always 100% live up to this goal, but our goal is to deliver a transparency and consolidation. Everything's in one platform, all the communications there. Uh, and so you're not kind of piecemealing information you know, across the market together and you're collaborating with your broker. You're not working in silos yep. is, is one thing. And I'll let you. Yeah. I, so from the consumer perspective, you know, it's, there's a, as we've learned, we've, we have a, you know, obviously we're still learning from our, our, our clients and, and the tenants that work with us, but they have very specific preferences as to one, you know, how the service delivery is, is delivered Two, it's, you know, the world that we built this company for you really that underserved segment of the market, they need space very quickly, you know? So our, our whole goal is to provide the best experience possible in the least amount of time based on that requirement at the best deal possible. For us, we are a licensed brokerage in every, in every state that we're in. We have based on real estate license law, a fiduciary responsibility to our clients and to tenants. What we're doing with the technology, you know, the empowerment of the tenant is giving that consumer focused, uh, I should say, slant on the industry so that they can actually understand where business is being done, comps that are happening, have the best information at their fingertips to truly empower them when they're on the couch, looking at the market, see it from a completely different perspective based on, again, for tenant base, every new deal that we're doing should improve the experience for another tenant that's coming. 
to the site, whether that's through the comp information that we're aggregating through the uh, proposals that, you know, are coming through. But we really want it to be that ecosystem that feeds itself. And for listeners, uh, these Mike and Bennett probably have better data on what tenants are wanting and their uh, tendencies and their habits. And so it's just kind of interesting to dive deeper into this. But is there a fundamental reason why people, is there like a number one reason why somebody will sign a lease and a number one reason why they will not sign a lease? If we look at our our funnel and conversion data, you know, we've, I think we're, we're improving significantly here, especially with our, uh, like we were showing our, our actual tenant scoring and understanding, you know, with all the data that we have, okay, what's, what are the chances and what are the, you know, the actual attributes of a tenant that makes them more probable to actually tour in the market? Right. And that's really, you know, fundamentally what we've, what we've built a lot of the uh, tenant scoring on. I, I would say it's our average, you know, deal, it's, it's 49 days. It's moving very quickly and that's great companies too are moving very quickly. They're wanting space fast. When these transactions drag out, I should say, and then really not move these deal cycles in certain stages, mm-hmm. it's obviously the probability of them closing goes down significantly. Right. Um, but it's also, you know, I think we're still in our infancy there, but also, you know, I think there's a lot to explore, obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it starts with inventory. If they're finding something they like quickly, that obviously moves the needle tremendously on going forward. And then really the other two factors are term and price. If if I can pay a slight premium and have a lot of flexibility in my lease, as we've seen with co-working and executive suites, there is a premium on those spaces for smaller spaces, but a lot of flexibility. And then on the other side, if I if I have to commit to a five-year lease, I may not be able to do that right. as a business. So those are the, the biggest levers we're seeing pulled. And I guess for like office tenants, um, does access to amenities, uh, whether it's within the building or or food or like how close the, what's your surrounding ecosystem like? How big a factor do, does that play into it? Is that... I mean, I think about that all the time. Do people, or is your data showing that people want to be close to food? They want to be close to the dry cleaners. They want to be close to everywhere they're going to have to go after work. Or I'm just yeah. curious what. I mean, I, I would be, you know, I, I can't say that the data we have is pointing specifically to that, but I think that's where a lot of our clients are focused is yeah. delivering that. This is a place to work, but they care. You know, we're seeing that trend, you know, younger millennials, you know, everyone caring a lot more about the experience around work. And that doesn't necessarily mean only being in a co-working space where you've got the beer on tab and the coffee and the <laughs> the ping pong tables and all that stuff. It just means being part of something that's more than going into an office, closing the door and getting your work done, then going home. For sure. This might be a terrible question, but has anything that's happened to WeWork in the last two months, does that touch y'all's bit, not in a positive, negative, like it's in the office space world. So I would just be crazy not to ask, like, how does that relate to your world? And the answer could be it doesn't at all. It doesn't. You know, it's obviously with with WeWork and in, in their fundamental business model. Again, we we talked about this, you know, earlier today. It's that whole idea of aggregating that tenants throughout their space. Like, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal, you know, concept. With what we're trying to do as well with the new product that we that we walked through that we're that we're launching, letting landlords actually start to have more flexible opportunities for tenants without actually you know we're not leasing space we're just letting the community actually interact with our tenant base and our active you know volume of clients. Uh, we've always been really planning that because as the world is changing, it, really what WeWork has done is landlords and traditional landlords now want to get into the more flexible space environment. Uh, why? 
does a space have to be just a five-year deal if this tenant right here that's on tenant base you know, wants a two-year deal, there's a certain price that that landlord should be able to offer to that tenant or even split that space up in ways that the landlord never thought they were going to do based right. on real tenant demand. So right. for us, you know, we've obviously any, anything in the office space market ends up being talked about in, in, when you're an office space company like us. But I think with where we're going, it's it's traditional landlords starting to do this is very, yeah. very interesting. We worked at a phenomenal job of demonstrating the power and the demand for that type of space. And I think you're going to see a lot of landlords, big and small, want to take advantage of the offerings of a flexible space. Right. It doesn't have to be exactly as that was constructed, but providing a little bit more flexibility in their in their portfolios is something I think we'll see a lot of. And right now it's been relegated to, oh, I've got 30,000 square feet or 100,000 square feet. I'm going to assign it to an operator. I think you'll see that go smaller mm-hmm. and people do more things. Uh, you know, the companies like Notel and Breathe are already doing it. How do you guys open up in a new city and how do you understand what's what, what the next city is going to be? Yeah. When we identify a market, you know, we have a, we have a process, um, you know, it's looking at a number of things. We've done very well in emerging markets. We've done very well in markets that have a technology culture. Uh, Austin, Texas has been phenomenal for us. Uh, Fort Worth and Dallas have been great markets. Uh, we start by kind of looking at the, the analytical side of it. And then our process is to find a market leader. Uh, we are very much, as Bennett said, a, a brokerage firm, you know, enabled by our technology platform. And so we end, you know, we live and breathe service and everything right. ends with our service. So we start with a leader. Uh, if we're going to launch a market, we have to find that person and then we're going to build our, our team around them. How do you find that person? You know, you use everything you can. Yeah. Recruiting is, uh, it's a challenge. It's I mean, so it's, it's something where uh, we've gotten really good at it every day. We, I think we get a little bit better, but yeah. it's it's a challenge. And uh, especially at the level of the the market lead, there are people, you know, our average leader has 15 plus years of experience uh, in commercial real estate doing, you know, oftentimes the leasing and tenant rep work that we do. If not, they've been involved in things that give them a ton of experience and, uh, you know, insights into how they can manage and run our teams effectively and support our brokers. So you use all the resources you can. I mean, you, we have the applicant tracking systems. We're on all the job boards, but then we also, just like every company that's hustling, we're using our networks, our broker's networks, making those cold calls, doing anything you can alongside the institutionalized processes to find talent. Yep. And it's, I, I think it's interesting too. I, it's been, it, building this operating model has been very interesting. You know, the first market, obviously Nashville, Mike and I are, were brokers in the system. That's great. Well, your second market, all of a sudden Orange County is really hard to do. You know, we had great leadership in Nashville that actually let us go out, but it was still tough. Then your third market with, with Dallas, you know, those first, in, in, and I should say fourth market with Los Angeles, those first four markets were it, just the learnings piling out of that were, <laughs> out, it, was, it was outstanding, but it was also, it was a crazy time. Yeah. But now, you know, then all of a sudden the fifth market we launched Atlanta, we had institutionalized enough processes. It wasn't perfect, right? Then last year for us, we launched four markets all at once. We launched Chicago, Houston, Austin, Fort Worth right at the end of the year. Uh, it was a huge stress test, I should say, for us as a corporate team. We really spent 2018 really building out our corporate team, really adding engineers to let us do this. Uh, but it was the first time that we, in institutionalizing all these processes, and we're not perfect yeah. at all. We're always- They're never uh, perfect. Never perfect. Yeah. But it was the first time that we said, okay, we this can actually work. And we have even more learnings about what actually helps. And our training had improved to the point where 
we can onboard brokers quickly. We, you know, I, I would say to your question though, with the market lead, that is such a probably, you know, getting the launching the platform in a local market. That's, I don't want to say the easy part, but it's, you know, it's become much, I should say, easier than making sure that you do have that one right person that you can yeah. actually can actually lead that team, but also be the face of the real estate community in that local market. We're very focused on collaboration. We think that collaboration between the community will effectively create liquidity and everyone will win. And that local market lead is so important in, in institutionalizing that. I would say that's the one piece that it's very important for us. Where yeah, people, and, and people your business. people are your best recruiters. I mean, yep. the best people get the best people. How, um, and I've never had to experience this, but I think about it in the future. When you're growing that quickly and you're opening up cities that quickly and your culture is still kind of being defined and who you guys are and, you know, every time you double your employee base, it kind of, you know, it's just evolving. Like, how do y'all think about keeping a consistent, and you're, you've been talking about leading with service. How do you think about keeping a consistent message across all um, cities as you grow? Yeah, I think it starts with when you're recruiting people, you're you're asking these questions, you're learning about them. I've heard you guys talk about the personality profiling you're doing. We do some some of the same things with assessments and looking at how people fit both uh, with their experience, but also who they are as a person. And I think you're looking for like-minded people that uh, that fit the culture on the recruiting front. And then also, you know, as they're joining, we have to be buttoned up as a company to welcome them into something that's consistent, whether you're in Austin or Fort Worth or Dallas or, you know, in the future, New York and Washington, D.C. or wherever, that you're getting that same experience. Uh, one of the roles we've had that's been phenomenal for this is the regional director role we created, which is kind of a spread across three to five markets. And they're charged with institutionalizing and overseeing, making sure our processes and our culture are consistent. And they're bridging that. So they're they're getting feedback from teams in those markets and helping us create that consistency. That's awesome. Um, you said your first investor was your uncle. Mm -hmm. I always love to chat about just what it's like to raise capital, especially early on. And then maybe a little bit once you've become more established and I, I don't know what your, your raising rounds have been, um, but what is raising capital like um, in the real estate tech world? Yeah, I, I think those early days were very interesting because it was kind of the formative stage. This industry has come so far since we even started tenant base. For a while, it was, yeah, I, I swear it was Thanksgiving going to every family member and anyone who, you know, would listen to me and trying to get money from them just so that we could keep going yep. in those really early days. I mean, it's not the early days. You have a bunch of people who believe in you and it's your closest people. Yep. So like for me personally, I, I think every person that I care about has, you know, obviously <laughs> I'd heard the pitch, pitch. <laughs> absolutely pitch the you know, living crap out of them. But it's, it's, uh, it's also what makes it those early days are very interesting because every single month is an up and down, left and right. And you're also trying to, you're, you're having to do everything for the business as well. And anytime you're raising money, you are pulled totally out of the business. Yeah. You don't get to actually, you know, do the things you love and working with your people, with, you know, the business as a whole. So for, for those early days, it was, it, it was totally as you would expect. Yeah. If that makes any chaos. sense. Chaos. But it's, you know, I would say as the industry has, um, as the industry, more institutional capital has started going into the real estate tech industry, obviously, uh, I do think that it's very interesting. The nuances of this industry, people are still working that out. You know, real estate folks who came up in this industry, they understand the nuances of commercial real estate and why it's such a nuanced industry. And there's, you know, market norms and local markets interact differently than one another. And there's, you know, 
it's sometimes in those early days hard for folks who didn't come from the industry to even think it made any sense. Right. And why, you know, our approach was so novel was you know, we're, we're sitting here pitching this. And if you're also explaining why the nuances are so important for why you're doing it, obviously it's it's an interesting interaction with an yeah. investor. But yeah, it's uh have you all raised a more call it professional round since then? Yeah. So we've, we've, uh, again, those early days were, were angels. We ended up And they really are angels. They feel like they, they They come from heaven with a check. 100% are. (laughs) And they've, hopefully they'll listen to this too. They've, you know, since then we've brought on, uh, capital from, from folks, uh, two of the partners from Razor's Edge Ventures sit on our board out of Washington, DC. They've been absolutely unbelievable for us as a business. Really, they invested alongside Stonecutter Ventures, uh, who also sits on our board. So we've raised about 17 and a half million. Cool. And we awesome. You know, we'll continue. A lot of our funding has gone into expansion. It's gone into our our engineering team and it's gone into, you know, really building the product. But at the same time, it's a uh, it's been quite a ride. That's so, great. What's it like having a board? is I, being held accountable to somebody. It's something, it's a, I don't have a board, yeah. like a, a real board. And I always wonder what it's like. I, you know, our, they, they get to put up with me on a daily basis of calling them and trying to learn as much as possible because, you know, our board has been phenomenal because they come from two very different backgrounds too. I mean, and, you know, Sam Cole is, is uh, one of our board members from Stonegutter Ventures, Rob Kunzweiler from Stonegutter Ventures. Sam, comes truly comes from that technology background. Rob comes, you know, from the real estate background. He's been incredible with, you know, the folks who have, you know, invested with us. We have a great roster of, of, you know, backers, both from that real estate world and that technology world. Uh, the Razors folks have been incredible on that technology side as well. I think bridging the gap in this industry between real estate and technology is something that we continuously try to get better and better with. We have our own brokers who are incredible service-minded, great real estate minds. And then you've got engineering talent that thinks totally differently yeah. than real estate, you know, than, than the way that the real estate industry interacts. And it's been super on our board. It's been extremely important to have those two facets actually, you know, intertwined and working together because it's kind of a microcosm of our business as a whole. So having a board is great if you have board members that want to understand the industry and two are as supportive as ours. So, and I mean that sincerely. Just, you know, you think you're working hard and you know you are, but it's great to have people that hold you accountable to the things that you set out to and remind you of what you're working towards. And here's a different viewpoint. And people can find that with advisors or mentors, but having it built in uh, with the alignment and what you're trying to build as a company has been phenomenal for me and Bennett. You know, we have very different relationships with our investors because, you know, I'm more focused on the operating side of the business and and he's doing a lot of different things with them that are more big picture. But uh, it's been it's been a really helpful way for hopefully, you know, for me to continue to grow and, and be a better leader. So they've been our, we were really lucky on our board. We, we honestly mean that. I don't think a lot of people get to say that. Well, and it's I mean, it, it dictates, though, if, if you don't have alignment, you've seen this over the years with technology companies that if there's not a true alignment of the mission and the vision of what you're doing and why it's so special, what you're doing is it's, you know, it creates a huge problems that rip that everyone feels. And, you know, for us, it's finding those folks that truly believed in, in, in saw why local service truly empowered all the platform pieces that we have and why technology plus local service could truly create this massively valuable company was That permeates into how we hired our brokers, that permeates into how we built our tech, the types of engineers that work with us and, you know, at our company and, you know, work with us to build this company. It's it's truly a a similar like minded person that, you know, I would say permeates from 
truly a relationship with our board. You mentioned when we were talking earlier um, about the incubator y'all went through. Yep. How critical was that in your journey or was it critical at all? Yeah, it, it was extremely critical because we were at a point, you know, we weren't, we were kind of an operating company. We had one market, you know, yeah. we were producing revenue in Nashville. Nashville, baby. Nashville. <laughs> it's to this day, that's, you know, one of our best. So, uh, yeah. but we were producing revenue in Nashville. We knew so little at that time, though, about truly operating a, a company that was going to be in multiple cities with multiple offices with, you know, keeping culture, maintaining that, actually building the operating business. Uh, and in our, the incubator, Evo Nexus, it was at that point when, yes, we were kind of an operating company, but it also was our second location. Right. And it was also when we were going through a lot of the learnings on, okay, Mike and I shouldn't be doing the same things, right? Yep. So how do you effectively operate this business? What are your roles? How, how is that defined? How, in, in, in truly building the operating model, a lot of it was thought about in, in Evo Nexus. And we have great, great advisors from there that, you know, that really helped us there. So was it like um, y'all had to move to L.A. and live there at the incubator? How long a program was it? Our team grew significantly while we were there. I thought they were going to just throw us out because we had, you know, we had brokers yeah, <laughs> answering responses on the phone. We were taking over desks. I mean, like they they were very patient with us. It's one so, of those workspaces. Everyone's got their headphones on and they're coding, yeah. working quietly, and then we're just steamrolling <laughs> on the phone trying to make deals and do all this other stuff. I love it. Yeah, so it was. I mean, and then you had you know our engineers are there with their headphones, on, and then you've got the sales guys in the corner. You know, it was it was very. Uh, I think we were there for six months. Is that right? Maybe a little longer. A little longer. Yeah, and then we moved into. Uh, our space after that. So I think the the common thread, I've done 42 of these episodes now. The early days are so messy. It's it, it and it just it's a different kind of mess that you deal with as you grow. Um, but to, I can just picture like a room with brokers in the corner and they're trying to teach you tech stuff and you're on your way out the door because you got a call, you need to be in Nashville. Yep. And you're wondering how you're gonna keep it all together and you just kind of keep figuring it out. That's a, our first co-working space in Nashville. Andy lived in this. He, he wasn't allowed to live in it. He lived in it. He had, I mean, Sorry, I think it's a hotel now. So I think we're, oh, I think, is I think it? we're yeah, clear. Is it, yeah. He, uh, you know, there were, it was just, it was disgusting. Yeah. Now it's, it's, but those are also the years where you have the most fun. I mean, like, you know, and you start as you go through this business and again, you're always learning with everything. But those early years, when I say that the energy was just, I mean, it was outrageous. It was so exciting. Every single day was something new, exciting. I mean, I look back at that and I, sometimes I miss it because it was so freaking fun. But, yeah. it was, you know, it was also a total grind and it was not scary and it was, happy you know, it was and terrifying. It was, the, you know, the worst thing ever was happening to you. Then all of a sudden you were like the most thrilled you've ever been. And then all of a sudden you're not. And then it, it, you work until 12 eating pizza every night. And then Andy's sleeping on the couch. And it, I mean, it's it, but it was a, that's uh, awesome. That's the journey, man. So is there somebody along the way that has helped you all become better like executives and leaders? Is there something you read or you listen to or you just kind of you guys just keep learning and evolving on your own or because um, you're not brokers anymore? You're executives. Yeah, I try, try to be. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it? What does that word mean sometimes? Yeah, because sometimes I, even I, I feel like when you own a business, the job role changes you have your core job, but at any moment as a founder, you have that founder spirit of like, I'm going to dive into this and help out. And it's interesting. I mean, when we talk about our board, we really rely heavily on them. Yeah. Um, they have, 
for me personally, it has been, you know, Peggy Steyer from Razor's Edge Ventures, Jack Kerrigan, Sam Cole, Rob, like they have all had a different piece. I, I talked to Sam almost every single day. He was, he was an executive and at his exit as well. I mean, he's one of the smartest people that I've met has really given a framework for me and, and been patient as you know, for me personally, as long as I can understand a framework yep. and continue to grow within it, yep. I feel like, you know, I can do it and it's, yep. and it's still exciting, but it's very important to have that framework, have that mentorship. And I personally rely very heavily on our board. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously we've, we've touched on that before listening to a lot of different things. I'm just going through the, yeah. you know, you probably touch on everything from, you know, all, all the Simon Sinek stuff, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, all the things that we've all seen, the good to great books, things like that, pulling ideas from the common resources. But I think for, for me, I've been lucky. I work a lot closer with our market leads. And again, we kind of profiled them earlier and they all have these differing backgrounds. I think learning just to be, I don't know if the word's vulnerable. It's not a, it's not a position I take a lot when I'm trying to motivate or, you know, come drive our success and, and hopefully, you know, inspire it. Uh, but learning from people who, you know, I'm 33, most of them are, you know, been in the business world for 20 years more than I have. Yep. And just seeing kind of the hands-on experience and listening to them trying to implement their good ideas because yep. that's how we've grown a lot. Yep. Just improving based on the feedback of the people we have. If we were to make a prediction today and then we did a, a part two in 10 years and you had to make a prediction today about something that'll be going on in the real estate world that would be hard to imagine right now, is there anything that comes to um, front of mind? Hard to imagine right now. I, I think everyone's seeing what's happening with flexible space being flexible and fluid. Yep. I think that you're going to see that continue and that trend's going to continue not just for small businesses. It's for medium-sized businesses, large businesses, and truly letting the ecosystem take control of how space works. You're seeing in the credit markets as well now. It's, you know, I think that there's a lot there. I think there's a lot that, you know, I think could happen with the inefficiencies within this market. But I think that their even baseline adoption of technology is going to increase real estate values even, I mean, it's just basic fundamentals of, of what's happening with technology adoption right now. I've, I've always laughed about robots and robot tours and all of this. I, I think that what people don't realize is that real estate is a human business. It's going to continue to be that. Obviously, you're going to make those humans extremely efficient. Yep. That's how, you know, I believe this industry is going to play out. It's, you know, you will see less brokers doing more and more and more and more and more with better technology. And that's going to increase liquidity for landlords. It's going to increase. It's really going to leverage and, and I think help the industry. But I, I don't know. I, I also think that people are, it's not going to be such an urban focus, Yeah, you know, going forward. I think the world's going to spread out a little bit, but interesting. It's, I actually think the world's urbanizing. We need to talk about that. It's yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, you might have some data that would tell me otherwise. No, there's, some interesting markets. Is there anything that the tenant is asking for, like in the space that is, and this doesn't have to be just from what y'all are seeing through your data, but y'all are in this space. How, what is the tenant, is the tenant request changing at all? Maybe a question would be, are, are the offices becoming more efficient? I read every day about remote work. So people aren't there all day. So the services provided at home base are totally different than they used to be. I mean, is there just any way that people are thinking about their office layout or designing it that's that's trending in a certain direction? The obvious one is the open layout, yeah. which 
<laughs> you can read a million different things about that where it's destroyed productivity, it's increased collaboration. You know, we're seeing most people want to have an open environment with collaboration areas. So whether those are some individual offices, breakout rooms, places where you can work uh, as teams that aren't the conference room. Right. Um, that's a very general one. Yeah. I would say more broadly, it's kind of a move-in ready. I want to be able to walk in and I don't want to have to go through a build-out. Yep. Um, people will and people do want customization in their space. They want to make it their own. But I think there's some bare, bare bones things that we could all do in the industry to make sure that that process is a lot smoother. There's only so many different variations of flooring, ceiling, right. you know, lighting that you can have that set people up for success. And then there's also a lot of data that we're fortunate enough to have, as well as most landlords have it too, that this is a configuration that's very, you know, desirable in this size range and most likely to be not require any more customization. You're seeing that in what's called spec suites in our industry. Um, but that's continuing to evolve. I mean, that's something that's been around for a while. But I would say that's the biggest thing that we see is these deals are moving fast. We're not driving the 49 days Bennett referenced earlier. That is client driven. They And it would be making much decisions. lower. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I'm sorry to interrupt no. you. I've, I, it's at the highest level, we see more and more qualified businesses, great companies that need space tomorrow and many times are looking for, you know, th three-year deal, five-year deal. They're even willing to, you know, willing to work with, with longer terms. And they simply are so, you know, irritated with the processes within the industry because they can't get into that space. They end yeah. up going into a flexible space just because they couldn't actually get the space they wanted through the traditional, the traditional community. And I think that that's, for us, we have to play our part too within the the local, you know, brokerage community. We work extensively with landlord reps and have great relationships with many of them who have actually made it easy. They've interacted with our tenants. We're trying to build, you know, products that actually let the industry interact with our client base so that more deals can get done. Yep. And if you can simplify it, again, many of these tenants paint and carpet sometimes, but they're even looking for, you know, it's moving ready space. They want a simple, easy way click a button, feel like they can get in there. They need to tour it. They want to go and see that space, but they're moving very quickly and it's an apartment search mindset. And you're even seeing that grow, you know, with bigger tenants, obviously there's more build out, you know, as, as you're going on market, but it is, it continues to be a huge opportunity for the industry is to simplify the, the interaction here. Are most tenants needing space tomorrow because they do a poor job forecasting the growth of their business or do they need space tomorrow because they've been looking for six months and haven't found anything and like because the system's antiquated and the smaller you are as a tenant, I think for listeners, the smaller you are as a tenant, the less desirable you might be to brokers to really yeah. want to work to do a deal. So is it is it way towards just poor forecasting or poor finding? Probably underestimating the actual time frame that yeah. this takes is probably the biggest one. You'd like to see people, even that we're working with, we would like you to start looking, you know, six months in advance at a minimum to be in the market thinking about this because yeah. that's when you're going to have the most options. The whole market is on the table at that point. You can get creative. If you wait and you get toward the end of your lease, as many small businesses do, it's just not a priority till it is. Uh, that's where you get stuck a lot. Yeah. So I would say planning is probably number one. And that's a duty of a company like ours. If, if we're going to be uh, what we aspire to be, then we have to educate that tenant base, the community on how to properly go through this process and set themselves up for success. Yep. Y'all said something a second ago where you said we had to learn 
that we both couldn't be doing the same things every day. Yep. Um, did y'all just like get in a room and say, here's a hundred <laughs> things we do. You take these 50, <laughs> I take these 50. How do you go about two founders that have been doing the same things, just kind of like having each other's back almost. You don't even start with a job description. The job description is just like survive. Yeah. How do you go about saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Hey, you know, we, we had great mentorship in, in, um, Evo Nexus that set a framework for how we were going to work effectively. I mean, and, and Mike and I are totally different people. We are very fortunate that we are so different and our s- skill sets are very different, although we have similar values and, you know, we've, we are very good at very different things. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of companies don't end up having that. It's all rah, rah, exciting when you're building the company and you're starting it. And then all of a sudden you realize that, okay, these are, you know, two folks doing the exact same thing for us. It was, it was mentorship in the incubator that truly said, okay, Mike has to be here running and doing all of these pieces of the business. You need to get out and go raise money. I mean, that's what you're doing. You have to go out. That's your job. You're all, you know, here's the framework for how, for how you work. And again, we didn't, I think those roles have grown and you continue to delegate and you continue to bring on great people. There's no substitute for bringing on great people. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, I, I think one point where we were very fortunate was we were just very good at different things. Yeah. And I don't think many companies. Yeah, I think it happened really naturally. I mean, we yeah. both had to be brokers in the model to start. We both had to just run out and prove it. Yep. And then once you got to that point, it's okay, what are you good at? What am I good at? And let's go make this thing work. Yeah. And we, and again, for us, like getting, getting to learn how to work with, you know, and, and for Andy as well, learning how your partners work is also a process. I remember the early days, Mike and I would just scream <laughs> at each other, you know, be conference room. And we had a, we had a space we thought it was the coolest thing ever. We ended up leasing a, uh, a floor of a building with, with a, a great landlord in, in Nashville named Dan Maddox. He's unbelievable. He bought into literally, we had all these tenants that were looking in this area. We had the data for it. And we basically said, if we can actually syndicate all of these tenants and sign a lease, we'll take a full floor, build it out exactly how our data says to build it out. And we proved the concept early on with Dan, we had no <laughs> credit, you know, and he, he took totally a flyer on it and it worked out in his bill, you know, worked out great. He was an awesome guy, but we would sit in this conference room and Mike and I, when we were figuring out all of this, you know, it's those early days, you're up, you're waking up at 5 a.m. because you're so excited to get up. And then by 8 a.m., 8 you're just irritated as hell with something that's going on. And then by 12, you're happy. And then, you know, and so you end up going through this whole growing like together with, you know, your partners and you get to learn how they work. And it's, it's definitely, I think it's been natural with, you know, us, but at the same time, those early days are they're very formative. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. There's no recipe. I mean, the recipe is just get up and go and go and go and go and tinker and fail and figure. I mean, yeah. it's so funny to hear as many of these conversations as I've had. It is the same thread. Anybody that thinks that like you just kind of start a business and your business plan goes exactly how it is and like every day it's like, okay, day two of the business plan, we're going to do this now. It's like after day one, you might as well light that thing on fire because- yep your customer tells you something different or, um, I love, I love hearing that story. Yeah. Final question. Both have to answer it. If you had to give your 21 year old self some advice that you've learned over the last 12 years, <laughs> you had to sit him down and say, sober up. This is the advice I have to give. What would you tell him? 
I think my brain was fully developed at like 24. I think he's a 21 year old. I didn't even. Okay. So 24, what would you tell your 24 year old self? Everything is a matter of time, effort, and energy. You can choose how much time, effort, and energy you want to put into certain things, but you only have so much time. You only have so much effort and so much energy to put into them. You can't pick and choose where it goes and you can be an expert and as good as you want to be at whatever you want to be. But again, pick and focus that, that, uh, I love that. Yeah. That's good. For me, I would say patience, calm down, patience. You can't do all this. Can't will it to be all in one day. You've got to see it through. And that's not a persistence thing. It's a time yep. time aspect. You've got to have the patience to to go through the process and you can't make it all happen immediately. Because if you don't, if you don't bring that, you get really frustrated really quickly. Yep. Well, guys, this has been a great hour. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming on with me. I'm really excited about everything we talked about and being able to work with you guys in the future. Definitely. Thank you for having us. This was great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. You can also email us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.